The reading is 1 Samuel 10, verses 1 to 16, and can be found on page 279 in the Red Bibles. We have Bibles and other languages and versions available at the back. Then Samuel took a flask of olive oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him, saying, Has not the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? When you leave me today, you will meet two men near Rachel's tomb, at Zelzar, on the border of Benjamin. They will say to you, the donkeys you set out to look for have been found, and now your father has stopped thinking about them and is worried about you. He is asking, what shall I do about my son? Then you will go on from there until you reach the great tree of Tabor. Three men going up to worship God at Bethel will meet you there. One will be carrying three young goats, another three loaves of bread, and another a skin of wine. They will greet you and offer you two loaves of bread, which you will accept from them. After that, you will go to Gibeah of God, where there's a Philistine outpost. As you approach the town, you will meet a procession of prophets coming down from the high place, with lyres, tambourines, pipes and harps being played before them and they will be prophesying. The Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you, and you will prophesy with them, and you will be changed into a different person. Once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hand finds to do, for God is with you. Go down ahead of me to Gilgal. I will surely come down to you to sacrifice burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, but you must wait seven days until I come to tell you and tell you what you are to do. As Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart, and all these signs were fulfilled that day. When he and his servant arrived at Gibeah, a procession of prophets met him. The Spirit of God came powerfully upon him, and he joined in the prophesying. When all those who had formerly known him saw that him prophesying with the prophets, he asked them each other, who is it that has happened to the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? A man who lived there answered, And who is their father? So it became a saying, Is Saul also among the prophets? After Saul stopped prophesying, he went to the high place. Now Saul's uncle asked him and his servant, Where have you been? Looking for the donkeys, he said. But when we saw they were not to be found, we went to Samuel. Saul's uncle said, Tell me what Samuel said to you. Saul replied, He assured us that the donkeys had been found, but he did not tell his uncle what Samuel had said about the kingship. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And if you have a, a red Bible, it is page 279, page 279 that the reading can be found on. If you have a device or a phone, it's 1 Samuel 10 that we're going to be looking at together. And as we do, I'm going to start with a question. Who or what do you trust? Who or what do you trust? And, and here's another question which is linked to it. Who do you listen to? 
Who do you listen to? There's lots of voices out there in the world today. There are friends, there are family, acquaintances, people you meet. There's the voices of the news media or social media or whatever it is. Lots of voices all there competing for our attention and lots of them telling us what to do, trying to influence us. That's the word that's often used, isn't it, about social media stars, that they are influencers. Uh, lots of voices out there trying to capture our attention and capture our trust. Which voices do you listen to? It's a big question because we live in a complicated and a confusing world. I'm not the only one, right? You get out there in the world and you, you're confronted with questions and confusions, doubts and uncertainties. What am I going to do? I don't know how this works. Uh, we all feel like we could do with a bit of advice that we can trust. It's true from the very earliest stages of life. We have a very young person who lives in our house, and occasionally you see her looking uncertain about something. She'll look. She'll want a voice from a parent or an adult that she trusts to say, it's okay, it's okay, you can come this way. Uh, we have our pathfinders in with us and our platformers uh, with us. You guys are living in a complex world and have lots of big decisions and choices coming up for you in the next uh, few years. I guess you really value people you trust who you can listen to for advice about those decisions. Um, I like watching um, political documentaries about, say, the rise of a, a prime minister or something like that on TV. Uh, there's a couple on the BBC, one about the rise of New Labour, one about the rise of Margaret Thatcher. But one of the things they share is that you suddenly realise that they relied upon particular people for advice, for wisdom. And there were certain voices that they particularly trusted. Well, we've met Saul in our series so far, the, the young and slightly unaware country boy who doesn't seem to have a clue about much. He looks for advice from his servant. He eventually bumps into Samuel and he gets some advice uh, from him. Uh, and Saul is, is a great character to ask this question about who's he going to listen to because the thing about Saul that you discover throughout his life is he, he's kind of a bit unaware. All the time, Saul is looking for guidance from somewhere. Later on in his life, he even looks to a, a witch in Endor to raise the dead. So hungry is he for outside advice. Uh, but where is Saul going to look? Who is he going to trust? And that really is what this passage is uh, driving towards. Uh, verse 1, Pete showed it to us a little earlier. Samuel took a flask of olive oil, pulled it on Saul's head, kissed him, saying, Has not the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? So Saul has this word from God that says, You are going to be the ruler. Now, Paul was showing us last week, wasn't he, that it's not quite the word for king. It's a particular role that Saul has been called to because he is ruler over God's people, which means he's always therefore got to be under God. He's got to listen to God's word, direct his life by that word, show that he trusts it, and then show the people how to live in that same way. That's, that's Saul's job. And the question is, will he? Will he do this? Is he going to fill his knowledge gap with God's word? Will he trust God's word? And, and that is really what the passage is driving at. So the first thing I think the passage wants us to know is why Saul should trust God's word. The first eight verses about why Saul should trust God's 
word. Because there's lots of things we see about this word as, as Samuel gives Saul reasons to trust what he's just said. Samuel's just said, Saul, you're going to be the ruler. Uh, why should Saul trust this? Well, immediately Samuel goes on to give him three signs. So first in, verses, in verse 2, when you leave me today, you will meet two men near Rachel's tomb at Zelzar on the border of Benjamin. They will say to you, the donkeys you've uh, set out to look for have been found. Now your father stopped thinking about them and is worried about you. He is asking, what shall I do about my son? Verse 3 and 4, go on from there until you reach the great tree of Tabor. Three men going up to worship God at Bethel will meet you there. One will be carrying three young goats, another three loaves of bread, and another a skin of wine. They will uh, they will greet you, offer you two loaves of bread, which you will accept from them. Now, the point that's been drilled home here is, can you hear the details? Uh, God is saying, look, through Samuel, look, this is what's going to happen, Saul, and I'm going to give you details. And, and the point that's been made is God's word is enough. God has a clear vision of the future down to quite small details that he can give. Uh, you can trust God's word. You should trust God's word for the future because God is in control of that future. He knows what's going to happen and he can tell you in advance. God's word is enough. Look at all the details. Uh, it comes home to us if we compare what God says through Samuel here with, with say, a horoscope. Okay, so this week I looked up my horoscope uh, for the week, uh, for the day, uh, January the 16th. Paperwork regarding money might need attention today, as you could be planning to entertain visitors. As it happens, uh, yesterday I did have to fill in a tax return. Okay, and as it happens, we do have some family come to stay with us for a little while. Uh, so you're like, well, there you go. Having said that, if I'd gone to the local shop to buy a pint of milk with a £5 note because someone was coming around for a cup of tea, that would also fit that, right? It's really vague. It's really loose. And it, it's, it's might and it could. And there aren't any details at all. Compare that with what Samuel gives to Saul here. This is where you'll meet them. Rachel's tomb, the tree of Tabor. This is how many people there'll be. This is what they'll say. This is a God who knows the future and his word is enough. <clears throat> we'll skip over verses 5 and 6 uh, for the moment because we're going to come back to them because that sign is fulfilled and we read about it later on. But there are other reasons why Saul should trust God's word. It, it is enough, but it's also liberating. So verse 7, once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hand finds to do, for God is with you. God may know all the details of the future and, and give Saul confidence that he really can trust that he knows what's going on, but that doesn't mean God's going to micromanage every little thing in Saul's life. Do whatever your hand finds to do, Saul. You're going somewhere near a Philistine outpost. They're the enemies who my people need protecting from. Maybe, maybe you could go and fight some of them there, but whatever you find to do, Saul, go and do it. Uh, God loves to give his people space and freedom to grow not micromanage their every decision. And yet, God's word is enough, God's word is liberating, but God's word also provides boundaries. In verse 8, go down ahead of me to Gilgal. I will surely come down to you to sacrifice burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, but you must wait seven days until I come to you and tell you what you are to do. Okay, so God's word tells him what he should do and what he shouldn't do here. 
Uh, don't do anything uh, quickly. Wait for Samuel. Don't do anything before Samuel gets there. Uh, God's word provides boundaries. Do you see this beautiful balance gives us space? Uh, liberates us to go and do whatever our hands find to do, but not, not just wander around aimlessly with no direction and no boundaries. And so we have a word from God here which is enough, liberating, and has boundaries. And what a beautiful thing it is to have a word like this. Of course we should trust a God who speaks to us and speaks in this way. Do we, do we recognize the beauty of this? Again, a comparison might help. Uh, there's, a, there's a book called Penitential Prayers in Assyrian and Babylonian Literature. So other people who lived around the time and place of ancient Israel. Uh, and there's this book uh, of these examples of the prayers that these people prayed. And one of them is called this, Prayer to an Unknown God. And it says this, May the wrath of the heart of my God be pacified. May the God who is unknown to me be pacified. May the goddess who is unknown to me be pacified. May the known and unknown God be pacified. May the known and unknown goddess be pacified. The sin which I have committed I know not. The misdeed which I have committed I know not. A gracious name may my God announce. A gracious name may my goddess announce. A gracious name may my known and unknown God announce. A gracious name may my known and unknown goddess announce. You, you get the point. It goes on for some time. But there's a desperation in that prayer. They don't know what they've done wrong. They don't even know which god or goddess it is they have offended. They don't have a clear and detailed word which has boundaries. And so they're left wandering in the dark. But Saul, what a Saul God. What a blessing to have a God who will speak to him clearly, with details, give him freedom, but provide him with boundaries. Of course Saul should trust this word. But secondly, how Saul could trust God's word. It's one thing to say he ought to do it, but, but can he? And I think the answer comes to us in, in verse 9. As Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart, and all these signs were fulfilled that day. So yes, he, he can trust God, because what God says comes true, they all happen, the three signs that Samuel gives him. But, but also, did you notice, God is powerful to work within Saul, to change him from within. It is that change that is needed for Saul to put his trust in God's word. And to spell out the change, to show us that something's actually happened, he, he repeats the third sign again and, and shows us how that sign was fulfilled. When he and his servant, verse 10, arrived at Gibeah, a procession of prophets met him. Now, these prophets are like a group of wandering religious ecstatics. So their job is to wander around a little bit, and they carry musical instruments with them, and they play those musical instruments, and they sing songs and pray prayers and, and sort of whip the people up into a, a bit of a, a you know, fever for getting them excited to worship God. Uh, that's their job, to come and bring a bit of excitement, inject a little bit of energy and enthusiasm to the worship of the people. Um, if it's not too uh, silly, can I uh, maybe show you this picture? Um, it's a bit like England's Barmy Army that follow their football or their cricket teams on tour. And they'll take instruments with them and they'll sing songs together in order to get the fans excited about the match and about the team that they're celebrating. Of course, it's slightly silly because 
These prophets are doing it to encourage the worship of the living God. It's a slightly more noble uh, purpose than an England football match or a cricket match. But that's the kind of idea of this band of prophets. And it seems that the prophets that wandered around, some of them thought they were fairly harmless. Some of them thought they were a bit weird and wacky, as you might imagine. Uh, from the book of Hosea, it seems some people thought they were a bit odd. But look what happens. When he meets them, the Spirit of God rushed upon him, and he joined in their prophesying. Now, remember the, the young lad we met last week, the country boy. Quiet, unassuming, and fairly unaware. And here he is, leading the singing, leading the prophesying, getting everyone excited about And And look what they say. When those who had formerly known him saw him prophesying, what's happened to the son of Kish? And then the key question, the question that becomes a saying, is Saul also among the prophets? It's a bit like saying, wonders never cease. Would you believe it? Even Saul among the prophets. And this interaction is there to explain where this question comes from, but also to bring that question right to the front of our minds. Because if you think about it, that is the question. Remember what Saul's job as ruler is to be. He's to be under God, listening to God, shaped by God, and then declaring and showing that to the people. Well, in a sense, that's the job of a prophet, right? To listen to what God says and declare it in word and deed to the people. And will Saul do that job? Will he trust God's word that has been given to him? And will he deliver it to the people and live in obedience to it and direct the people to live in obedience to it? He should, because it's a good and a beautiful word. He could, because God is showing him he has the power to help Saul. He's given him the power of his spirit, which has changed him. But will he? You see, this passage doesn't actually give us loads of answers. And the answers that it gives us are at best half answers. Did you notice the question, is Saul also among the prophets? We don't get an answer in the passage. It doesn't tell us definitively yes or no. Or verse 12, there's another question in verse 12. Who is their father? Uh, there's a man who lived there, and I think he's pointing to the band of prophets and saying, who's their father? But if you ask the commentators, they have no idea what the answer to that question is. There's about four or five different alternatives that they provide. It's mysterious. Not even sure what it's doing there, to be honest. And then when Saul's uncle pops up, he asks questions, and, and Saul's answers are at best half-truths. And so our, our final point is, will Saul actually trust God's word? This passage is highlighting that he ought to, he should, this passage is highlighting that God is offering his help through his spirit. He could. But it's not answering our questions. It's deepening the mystery and, and making it all feel a bit uncertain. Will he actually trust God's word? Is Saul among the prophets? 
And there's perhaps a slightly ominous feeling to verses 14 to 16, when Saul's uncle comes up and asks him questions, and, and Saul is evasive. He tells him about the donkeys in verse 14, and then he tells him that he went to Samuel. But when the uncle asks, what did Samuel say to you, verse 15? Saul doesn't tell him the whole truth. He did not tell his uncle what Samuel had said about the kingship. Was that prudence? I mean, the Philistines are around after all, aren't they? If Saul goes declaring that he's the new king, is he just painting a target on himself? Or is it perhaps that Saul's not actually convinced yet that he can trust what he's heard through Samuel? He's hedging his bets. He's being careful. He's proceeding secretly. Well, we don't know at this point. We don't know which way the course of Saul's life's going to go. And so the question is what hangs in the air. Will Saul trust God's word? Is Saul among the prophets? That's sort of where the passage lands, but what does it mean for us? How do we apply it? Well, I think the first obvious thing to say is it's a question for us as well, isn't it? I said at the start, we live in a complicated and a confusing world. I'm sure we all know that. I'm sure we all feel that. In the midst of that complexity and confusion, when we have questions, some of which I guess don't get answered for us immediately, some of which at best we get half an answer, just like in this passage, will we hold on and cling to the truth that God's word is completely trustworthy. There are many ways we might apply that. For those of you who listen to sort of Church of England news, you might know that this week I've seen a number of announcements come out of the House of Bishops, and I can tell you that I find some of them quite confusing, perhaps even contradictory at times. I have lots of questions and doubts and uncertainties, so if you've been listening to that, I'm sure you have plenty of those as well. But we also have this, the promise of Jesus Christ to build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's not a promise necessarily to build the church of England, but nonetheless we have a word from God to hold on to that we can trust and hold on to in a complex and a confusing word. So will we? Will we trust that God's word is right? Another point of application, perhaps, is what kind of leader or church leader, uh, leader of his people, does God value? And I guess it's the same, right? He wants someone who will listen to him, direct his life according to the word that God has given, and encourage others to do so. I suppose that's a good thing to know, isn't it? Um, in the future, you might be choosing a church. Is that one of your high priorities? Have they got a leader that does that? Is it something you will pray for your church leaders? Pray for the bishops, even. That they would be those who would trust God's word, order their lives according to it, and direct others to do the same. That seems to be the kind of leader that God values for his people. 
But in the end, I think where we want to land this is with Jesus. Because if Saul is given the option and the opportunity that he could and he should follow God's words, there's so much doubt and uncertainty about whether he's up to it. And as we proceed through our series, we're going to see that, sadly, he does fail. But in Jesus, God has given his people a leader, a king, a ruler, who will trust his words. In the midst of confusion, uncertainty, complexity, opposition, when he's tested by Satan in the wilderness, and time and again he responds, no, this is what God says, I'm trusting that. When he knows there's an angry crowd waiting for him in Jerusalem and he says, no, that's where God wants me, so I'm going that way. When he's praying in the garden the night before he dies, knowing what waits for him, and every fiber of his mortal body must have recoiled from the thought, he says, not my will, but my Father's. I'm trusting him. What a blessing it is for God's people to have a king like that. And in the end, that should should be where this passage leaves us, with hearts full of thanks for that kind of king that God has provided for us. In a moment, the band are going to come and play for us, a song which draws our hearts and minds to Jesus as our cornerstone the one we can trust and depend upon, the one we can follow and build our life upon because he in turn trusts the word of his father in the midst of doubt, uncertainty, confusion, complexity, fear, persecution and opposition. To the very end, he shows us the way. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for what it shows us about the history of your people. We thank you for what it shows us about the trustworthiness of your word, the goodness of your word, and your ability to help us. Thank you that you have helped us once and for all through Jesus. And thank you that he shows us someone who lives in complete faithfulness and obedience to your word. And what a great blessing it is to have a king like that. We thank you for him, in his name. Amen.